Well, good morning. Happy Easter. So good to be together with everybody. Man, that worship was great. It's great to see everybody here. Uh, I'm Jay. I'm the lead pastor. If you're new with us, I want to say welcome uh, and, uh, and so glad that you've decided to be here with us. If you're watching online, uh, thank you for joining us and happy Easter to you as well. Uh, and we are going to be looking today at the implications of Easter and the implications of the resurrection uh, for each and every one of us. Uh, if uh, you maybe have the free Bible app that you can download on the, uh, on the app store, uh, you can follow along with my notes right there uh, if you want. Just look for Connect Church uh, in Akron, Ohio, uh, and you can follow along uh, with what we're going to be talking about today because this is actually going to be the beginning of four weeks that we're going to be looking at the implications of Easter uh, and talking about what the, the resurrection means for us through, through um, the victory over sin that we have, through uh, the hope uh, of eternal life that we have because of the resurrection, uh, and, and then the, the commissioning of the church as we're called to go out and share this good news uh, with the world. But quite simply, to put it this way, without the resurrection, none of this matters. None of this matters, not just today, not just for the church as a whole, which is true, but I would even go as far as to say your life in this time. Without the resurrection, None of that matters. None of that matters. So let me ask you this question. What are the implications for you? Personally, what are the implications for you? When I say implication, we define that word as a possible future effect or result. What, what, what is that for you? We might hear that phrase and you think about the implications for you and we might think about parts of our everyday life, like the inflation problem that we've got going on, and uh, whether it's the stock market or the economy or the fact that you know a dozen eggs is six bucks or whatever that might be. Um, the effect of, of our health issues, possibly. Uh, I know when I was at art school um, that a majority of the art that we studied in art history, which was my least favorite class, by the way, um, but when we studied that, it's amazing how much of that art that has, Im that has affected us today actually went back and goes back to the, to the birth, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. There is so much that has influenced us even today from then that we don't even realize that those things affect us. That those central Christian themes have been there for 2,000 years, if not more. And so what implication has the resurrection had on you, on you personally? Think about it. May seem like not much. You may be like, eh, not really. I was just kind of drugged here by family today. I get that. But I promise you it has. Because the resurrection changed everything. The resurrection changed everything. Whether you want to admit it or not, it changed everything. And not just in religious terms, which of course, it changed there. But for the rest of history, and the working of God in the world, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus became actually the central point of a date in history. Jesus split the calendar of modern history, right? We know B.C., before Christ, and A.D. means what? Who said after death? Because you're wrong. That's actually not what it is. That's what everybody thinks it is. That's not what it is. It's actually a Latin phrase that I had to write down to remember. Anno Domini is actually what the phrase is. And I may have pronounced that wrong, so forgive me. But what that means is, in the year of our Lord. 
That's actually what that means. So it's actually pointing to the resurrection, right? So it's not after death. We're not leaving him in the grave. It's pointing to the resurrection. It's, it's saying in the year of our Lord. And so Jesus split the calendar and the resurrection has everything to do with that. Now, have a tremendous amount of injustices been done and awful things in the name of Christianity? Yeah, you better believe it. Look in the history books, look in even our recent past. No doubt, people can be cruel, this world can be evil, people can be manipulative and, and pervert what God has intended for good. No doubt, but we cannot overlook the impact that the resurrection has had on human history. And it's not just an important event in history. It is the central event in human history. In the book of John, Jesus says this, chapter 11, verse 25 to 26, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Jesus makes this claim long before the crucifixion. In fact, he actually makes this claim at Lazarus' tomb, who he then rose from the dead. And this claim that Jesus makes, honestly, this should blow your mind when you read this. This should blow your mind because he's either a liar or a con man or both, or he is the son of God because he can't just be a good guy and a good prophet and a good teacher and make a claim like this if it's not true. If this isn't true, then he's not a good guy, he's not a good teacher, and he's a liar and the best con man to ever live. He says it's in faith in him that brings someone back to life at the resurrection, at the last days. And he is the grounds for hope in this life. And then he goes further because he says, I am the life. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die in verse 26 there. And the life that we receive through believing in Jesus, it can't be stopped by physical death. That's what he's saying. And this is a bold, bold claim. This is an incredibly bold claim. And so I want to look at the resurrection story today. And if you didn't think that's what I was going to preach on, what are you doing? It's Easter, right? <laughs> but we're going to be in John chapter 20, if you have your Bibles. And we're going to be looking at, at the story of the resurrection today. But I want to take you through the events from a different angle, from a different perspective. I want to take you through the resurrection, through the eyes of his followers, and you may just find the implications for yourself in this, because I promise you this is going to be different probably than any Easter message you've ever heard. So Jesus has been beaten, and He's been beaten beyond recognition. He's been whipped and flogged and all of those things. He's gashed open everywhere. All of those things. Crucified and then died. And he's buried in a borrowed tomb. And the Romans seal it. And they put guards at the tomb to make sure that his body wasn't stolen. Because they knew that he had predicted that he would rise from the dead. And so if it was stolen, well, now they've got a, a big old thing on their hands that they got to deal with. Because then they believe that the followers of Jesus would make everybody think that he had risen from the grave. And so here's, here's the coup, right? All beginning right here. And so the disciples knew this. 
They knew the implications of the crucifixion and what that meant for them because they were followers of him. And so if they could take Jesus and kill him, what does that mean for them? And so we catch up with them here at the beginning of John chapter 20. The very first verse, it says, Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, that's John, by the way, and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. So they still didn't get it because they knew what this meant. See, in this moment, they go running. The implications for this were huge. They go running to the tomb because either he was alive, maybe, or his body was stolen. And so they take off running to see because this was potentially going to make things worse for them. If his body had been stolen, things are getting much worse. This changes everything that they thought they knew. But they didn't actually see him. They just see an empty tomb. So they didn't really know what was going on. They had some hope, but probably, mostly, fear. They were scared. Mary Magdalene, a little bit later in the chapter, she sees Jesus. She actually sees the resurrected Jesus at the tomb. And so she goes and she tells the disciples, I saw him, right? But we have to think that they had doubts in their minds. They had to have. And you know why? Because they locked themselves in a room because they were scared. Go down to verse 19. It says, on the evening of that first day of the week. So that evening, that night, when the disciples were together, the doors were locked for fear of the Jewish leaders. They're scared. Jesus comes and stands among them, it says. And he says, peace be with you. Why would he say that? Because they were scared. Not only scared that they were going to get haunted down, but then all of a sudden Jesus shows up and they don't know how to take this, right? After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. So the resurrected Jesus, standing in front of them, and they are changed. These guys are changed completely in that moment because the implications for them became real instantly. And so they're following him before. Absolutely, they were following him before, but you know what? This, this is different. This is different. Things are changed. Jesus commissions them, sends them out, and they are regenerated and rejuvenated and made new by the presence of Jesus, the living hope. And that had to be an amazing thing. But not everybody was there. Not everybody was there in this moment. Let's keep reading. Now Thomas, 
also known as Didymus, one of the 12, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. I will not believe. Now let's cut Thomas some slack here for just a minute. Because not just doubting Thomas. That's the cliche, all of those things. Yeah, but consider this. He wasn't in the room. He wasn't there when Jesus showed up before. The rest of the disciples, they were locked in a room and they were hiding even after they heard from Mary. Even after Mary was like, I saw him. And they were like, yeah, okay, we're gonna lock ourselves in a room. They were scared and doubting as well. So it's not just doubting Thomas, it was doubting all of them, right? They were all doubting. They were all scared for their lives. But then they saw Jesus. They had an experience with Jesus in person, live and in person, and then they believed. And Thomas comes in, and he's not just doubting. See, Thomas did not doubt. He refused to believe. There's a difference. There's a difference here. See, doubt is one thing, but Thomas lost all hope. He lost all hope. He didn't pretend to believe just because the others said that he should. His experiences didn't help, obviously. He was just done. He was like, I'm done. We don't know what was going on where he was when they saw him the first time that morning or that evening, I'm sorry. We, we don't know what he was going through, what experiences he ran into, the people that he saw, what was said to him, what he was scared of. He was just done. Yeah, you guys could tell me all day about how awesome that was, but I, mm, I'm done. Can you relate to that? I can. Yeah, I've, I've seen others who believe in Jesus, but that just didn't do it for me. They, they tell me how, how great this is, but that just doesn't do it for me. Yeah, been there. Same here. I had the same kind of experience, and I grew up in church. You may have seen and heard about Jesus. Maybe at one time you were walking with Jesus. And then something happens. Life kicks you. Kicks you down. Kicks you hard. People let you down. People fail you. And God seems like he's there for others, but he just doesn't seem to be there for you. Especially when you needed him the most. So let me encourage you. Let me encourage you in this way because I want you to notice what happens here. See, Thomas's friends, they didn't give up on him. The world might give up on you. Other people might give up on you. Thomas's friends didn't give up on him. And I want to say for, for us as Connect Church, we're not giving up on you. I'm not giving up on you. As a church family, we're not giving up on people that have questions, on people that have doubts. I believe that may be why you're here today. That may be why you're watching online right now. See, the rest of the disciples, they didn't kick him to the curb like so many of us have been by others. He was still one of them. Thomas was still part of the family. 
He was still trying to figure all this out. A lot happened in a week for those guys. But listen, let me say it this way. If this is you, if you're relating to that a whole lot, can I just say you are welcome here to figure that out while you're figuring that out. You, you are welcome at Connect Church to try to figure out what it looks like to connect to Jesus because we're all trying to figure that out and we're all in different stages of that and different places of that. Let's keep reading. Verse 26. It says, later, a week later, so a whole week goes by, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. See, they didn't kick him to the curb. They were like, listen, you're not really believing like us and you're not all excited about all the things that we're excited about, but you can still hang out with us. You're still here. You're still, you're still one of us. You're still part of the family. Though the doors were locked, see, they're still locking themselves in. Jesus came and stood among them and he says, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, looks right to Thomas right away. Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Stop doubting and believe. Stop doubting and believe. Jesus knew the unbelief of Thomas. And he gave him the evidence that he wanted but he didn't have to. And Thomas was probably really surprised when Jesus looked at him and said exactly what he was looking for. Probably blew him away a little bit because it's not like the disciples like went and found Jesus and they were like, yo, Thomas needs to see it. Like that didn't happen. So Jesus knew what he needed, but he also, you know, he knew what he wanted to hear. Jesus also knew what he needed to hear because Jesus showed his power, but he also showed his love and he showed his grace and he showed his gentleness. And the whole conversation here was a rebuke. The whole conversation here was a rebuke, absolutely, but it was so layered in love. It was so layered in love. See, Jesus didn't condemn his doubt. Jesus didn't, didn't look at him and condemn him, but he didn't ignore it. He didn't ignore it either. But Jesus being alive and standing there in front of him, that demanded a response. See, the resurrection demands a response from each and every one of us. Because the implications of this, they can't be ignored. You can't ignore the implications of the resurrection because it means forgiveness is made known to you. It means that hope is alive for you and for me. It means that every person, every person is invited to not just listen, but also to believe. And this is where the resurrection calls for a response from us because neutral is not an option. And I think we think it is. We think that we can just play in uh, that's a response. You can't play the middle. You can't play that game. You can't just shrug it off. Because even that is a response. Shrugging it off is a response. This is the event in history, and it affects every person who ever lived or ever will live. And we're called to either embrace this good news or 
we have the choice to reject it. We can embrace it and participate in it, or we can choose to reject it. And the lies of doubt will tell you to reject it. Maybe not in those exact words, but the lies of doubt will tell you that you should be ashamed of your doubt. The lies of doubt will tell you that, that you're not worthy to talk to Jesus because of your doubt. That you're not worthy to maybe walk in this place today, but I was drugged drug in by my family, so I'm going to. The lies of doubt will tell you that. The lies of doubt will tell you that you're stupid. The lies of doubt will tell you that you aren't good enough and that you aren't worth it and that you're not worthy enough. That you messed up so bad and that this, whatever this is, is your punishment. They will rob you of any hope because your focus will be on what could have been. And those are lies from Satan. Those are lies from Satan. And here's the thing. Doubt is not a sin. Are you hearing that? Doubt is not a sin, but it can derail our faith if we don't examine it. And so we need to take our doubts to Jesus and ask for help. Jesus knows your heart. He knows your heart in the most honest way. And that should actually freak you out a little bit. It does me. But do you need to be honest about your own heart and about yourself? keep reading verse 28 Thomas said to him my Lord and my God then Jesus told him because you have seen me you have believed blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed Thomas first response he responds to the resurrection is to call Jesus Lord and God to make a deity claim And this is actually the only time in the Gospels that Jesus is referred to as God right here. And it's by Thomas, the doubting Thomas. Thomas moves from planting his flag firmly in the unbelief camp to a radical belief and trust. And he went further than any of the other disciples had had before him. He would have not called him God if his trust wasn't there. And Jesus then says, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. See, belief equals trust. Belief equals trust. There's a connection between those things, between belief and faith and trust. There's a a connection there. And in scripture, there are many times where the word belief and trust are interchangeable, and this is one of them. This is one of those times. And for you in your life to combat the seasons of doubt, belief needs to equal trust. And so do you live knowing and trusting that Jesus is alive and that he is God? Do you live that way? Or is all this just a fairy tale for adults? If we did live that way, then the implications, the possible future effect or result would be obvious. They would be obvious. So let me ask you this question. What is holding you back? What is holding you back? There may be some questions that you need answered. Great. Awesome. Let's answer them together. I I love that. I I love talking to people that have questions about faith and, and, and all of that stuff. It's a great conversation. This is a place where you can ask your questions. 
You can ask your questions. You don't have to have it all together. We will answer your questions together. See, faith isn't a blind leap. Too many times faith is sold to us like it's, a blind, like it's just a blind leap. Nowhere in scripture do I see blind faith as, as something that, that we're supposed to have as, as believers, right? Faith is, is a reasonable step based on strong evidence. In fact, I can show you chapter and verse that talks about having faith based on evidence. And there is so much evidence for the resurrection of Jesus, And Jesus conquered sin and death and hell and the grave. And then here, he conquers unbelief. And he gives Thomas the evidence that he's looking for. See, Christianity, faith faith in Jesus isn't, isn't just this blind leap of like, duh. No, there is good, strong evidence and reasons for faith. And we should have those. He gives Thomas the evidence he's looking for, but he really calls him, you know what he calls him to do? He calls him to put aside his excuses and all of his fear. And then he tells him to stop doubting and believe. To stop doubting and believe. Have you ever felt like you both believed and doubted all at the same time? Yeah, me too. Been there. Maybe today, right now, maybe this is the push that you need. Maybe this is the push that you need. I needed a push to get past my doubts. I absolutely needed that. Things fell apart in my life, and I looked up and realized through evidence, and yes, through faith, that Jesus was standing there with his arms open and his hand reaching out to me as my living hope. See, doubt doesn't make you awful. Doubt makes you human. (laughs) It's not wrong to have doubts, but when we have doubts, we need to go to Jesus with them. And we can ask for his help, and we can look at the truth, and we can listen to what he says, but not honestly handing those doubts over to Jesus that's going to keep you from moving forward. It's going to keep you stuck. Not being honest with Jesus, not being honest with yourself about it, it, it's going to allow your doubts to continue to keep you locked up and chained up. And getting out is going to look impossible when you're locked up by the lies of doubt that rob you of your hope. And we can feel guilty because of our doubts. But Jesus... Jesus does not reject us when we struggle to believe. He doesn't reject us when we struggle to believe. Jesus did not criticize Thomas. He didn't kick him to the curb. He loved him. He loved him. He wants to help us. He wants to heal us because he is our living hope. And and the connection point that I want to leave you with today, the the one phrase that I want you to remember is the connection point that I do every week. But this, this one today, this is for all of us and this is for forever because Jesus is our living hope. Jesus is our living hope. You've probably looked to other things in this world for hope and found them empty. You find them empty. Other people Money, 
addiction, whatever it might be. They are as empty as the tomb, and you know it. And we have hope because of the empty tomb. Absolutely. That power can change your everything. He walked out of that tomb, and he did it for you because he loves you. And God created you to be in a relationship with him. God created you, and he loves you so much. But our sin, the things that, that we do that displease God, those, those are the things that our sin nature that's within us. Those put up a wall between us and God. That relationship with God is, is blocked because of our sin. And, and the problem is that there's nothing you and I can do about that sin. You could try to be good enough. I have those conversations with people all the time who say, well, I'm, I'm a good person. I've, I've been a good person. Well, guess what? A lot of us have been good people and your definition of good person might be different than mine. And it's certainly different than God's because the only person who was ever a good enough person was Jesus because he was perfect. And that's none of us. That's not me. And I'm positive that's not you. You can be good all you want and it's never gonna be good enough. And that's the problem. God is perfect and holy and can't be in the presence of sin and so we've got a problem. And that's what Jesus came to do was to take care of that problem. He sacrificed himself for you because you can't take away your own sin. He gave his life on the cross. That's what this weekend is all about. And then he rose from the grave on the third day and conquered sin and death and the grave. And he did that for you. And when he rose, the check cleared and that is for anyone and everyone. And our eternal life that we can have just begins with a step of faith and it can begin right now. Begins by putting your trust in him. See, belief equals trust. So I wanna ask you if you would, if everyone in here, just for a minute, would you bow your heads? and close your eyes for just a second and not look around for a minute and just focus on God for just a second and just listen. See, my hope is in the one who knew you before you were born, who calls you his masterpiece. Did you know that God calls you his masterpiece? He sees what's going on in your life and he wants to walk with you through it. And, and when our eyes are fixed on him, our our desperation, our shame, our depression, the chains that we feel like we're wearing because of our sin, those are destroyed because Jesus has the victory over those things. And he says, don't put your hope in the things that will come up short and the things that won't last. And we all do it. We need to put our hope in the one who took your place on the cross and set you free to give you the hope that lasts forever. And that's the living hope of Jesus Christ. So I want to ask you a question. Do you have the living hope of Jesus? If you don't, if you don't have a relationship with him, if you don't know for sure that you're going to be with him in heaven, 
you can know that for sure right here and right now, today. And I want to ask you to potentially do something if you would. And it, I'm not having anybody stand or come, you certainly can if you want. But I just want to ask you to take one little step of faith that only me and God are going to see right now. If that's you, if you're feeling like you don't really have much hope, you don't have a relationship with God, would you look me right in the eye if you want to know for sure? And I'll see you. Believe me, I can see from up here. And we've got people in yellow lanyards that are scattered throughout the room. If you're willing and you want right now, you can get up and go talk to them. If you want to wait till after the service or during the next song, you could come up and talk to them during that time. You could wait and talk to me after the service. But if you looked at me, if you just looked at me and looked back down, and you could still do that right now. That's, that's almost like a symbol to God that you're willing to take a step. I'm, I'm proud of you for being willing to look up because even the person next to you won't necessarily know that. And I'm seeing a lot of eyes around the room. And we got people that would love to pray with you and show you in God's word how you can know for sure that today on this resurrection day that you can have that living hope. I'm gonna ask our band if they would come up. And we've got one final song. And as they do, as they get ready, if you've looked up at me, I would love for you to come and find somebody in a yellow lanyard during this song. Don't, don't listen to the lies of doubt that are telling you that this isn't the time, that everybody's going to be looking at me, that what da 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 whatever. Whatever those lies of doubt that are coming in your head, if the Holy Spirit's telling you to move right now, I would implore you to move. Heavenly Father, I love you and I thank you so much for your love for us. Jesus, I thank you that you are our living hope. I thank you that you are alive. I thank you that your Holy Spirit is moving through this place right now. And God, I pray that you would move powerfully through each and every one of us now. I know that there are some people in here that need to make a decision for you. I know that some of us are struggling with seeds of doubt, with the lies of doubt that the enemy is putting into our minds. But Jesus, you are the truth and you are the living hope. And so God, I pray, I pray that they would be willing to take that step of faith and talk with somebody and pray with somebody today. Some of us are struggling. Some of us are hurting. We're looking for hope in all different kinds of places. And God, you're not kicking us to the curb because we have doubt. You love us and you want to help us walk through that. And so, Father, as we sing, as we continue to pray, as your spirit continues to move, God, I pray that you would work in each and every one of our lives. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.